Hello, Bettys. Welcome to the show. Before we get to our guest today, I just wanted to let you know that we have such an epic list of guests coming up in March. We are talking about menopause. We're talking about autoimmunity. We're talking about muscle building. We're talking about recovery practices. And I don't want you to miss any of it. Even if you are listening to the podcast, you may not necessarily be subscribed. So you're going to have to manually go into your podcast app and press play. I would love for you to hit that subscribe button so that you are getting the podcast as they are released. It's going to make me oh so happy to know that you are a subscriber of the pod. You are officially a Betty in the Bettyverse. And of course, you are never going to miss an episode and be the first to know when it drops. Thank you so much. I think that the first thing that women typically do is they blame themselves. Like, I can't do a three-hour morning routine. What's wrong with me? Oh, it must be my lack of discipline. It must be my lack of focus. I must be terrible at time management. Right. That's what people, that's what women say. Oh, I'm just bad at managing time. And I'm like, well, maybe you're trying to manage your time with a system that wasn't designed for you in the first place. Welcome back to The Better Podcast with yours truly, Dr. Stephanie Estima. This show is for high-performing women who want better bodies, better minds, better relationships, better sex, and better families, and want to hear from a woman that can take the complex science and make it easy to integrate into everyday life. Every week, I'll be giving you access to world-class scientists, medical doctors, plastic surgeons, professional athletes, Olympic gold medalists, Hollywood actors, parenting coaches, sex experts, and psychologists. I am always looking to answer this question. What are the simplest things that we can do today to get better tomorrow? I am part geek, part magic, and it is my mission to be the voice for women. Let's get better together. Hey, buddies, and happy September. I am so excited to bring you this conversation today. I sat down to chat with Kate Northrup and we talked all about doing less. So this is a really pertinent topic. Of course, right now, September is traditionally a very busy month. We have kids going back to school if they haven't already started. People kind of are getting back into the regular rhythm of things. So we're going to talk about how doing less is actually more. And just before I get into what we talked about in today's podcast, I just wanted to take a moment to read a review that came in from Kel Merrills in the US of A. And her review of the podcast is, I can't get enough. She says, I could listen to Dr. Stephanie every day. There's something for every woman in every episode, no matter your age or stage of life. I'm proud to be a Betty and excited to better myself with all of the incredible information. So thank you so much for taking the time to write that review. And like I often say, when you leave a five-star review or leave a review on whether it's iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts, it actually helps more women and men find this podcast. So that's sort of the goal. So if I could, if there is an ask that I could ask of you, my Betty Army, is to rate and review the podcast. So thank you so much for doing that. Okay, so what we talked about today with Kate. So we talked about her origin story, so how she actually got into this and started embracing this idea that we are in fact not men. <laughs> we operate at a different cadence than they do. And she talks about her pregnancy with her daughter and how she's always been very achievement oriented and how she moves from or moved from with that pregnancy from always trying to do and looking for these external sources of validation to to really sinking into her body and listening 
to it. So we got into this conversation around cyclical living. And I talk about this a lot as well. So it's thrilling to be able to talk to Kate about this. We talked about the difference between men and women and how women really run on like a 28-day cycle, how we experience our entire hormonal milieu over the course of a month, whereas men really do this over the course of a day. So we were talking about these cycles of the moon, how we often bleed uh, on at certain p- uh, points of the moon, and we talk about all the different types of moons. Um, and then we talked about cyclical creation, which is so brilliant. Um, you know, we talk about this idea that women are natural creators, right? But it isn't as simple as like idea and then execute, idea and then execute, idea and then execute the way that this sort of toxic world order will have us believe that we should be doing it. So she talks about the fertile void, which is kind of akin to winter, right? Where everything sort of looks dead, but there's things that are happening in the darkness or underneath underneath the ground. Emergence, uh, which could be spring, you know, tulips emerging from the ground. Visibility, which would be akin to summertime, and then the culmination. And she talks about this in context of our own creative cycles, which I thought was great. We talked about egg wisdom, which is something that she learned from her mother, Dr. Christiane Northrup, who's also going to be on the podcast later this year, and talked about what does an egg do versus what a sperm does, right? The egg is the queen. She just kind of hangs around. She doesn't like run around the ovaries and the reproductive organs, right? It's kind of a silly thought when you think about it, but she kind of sits there and waits for the sperm to find her. So we talked about that and then really moved into some of the challenges that women have, like how we ask and receive help, why it's so difficult, our, why our muscles are so atrophied with our, our asking muscles and our receiving help muscles, why it's so hard for us. So we talked about that. We talked about motherhood and the importance of community. So I hope that you enjoy this conversation with Kate Northrup. So without further ado, we will get into the conversation. I am a huge fan of the Bio Optimizers Magnesium Breakthrough. It has seven forms of magnesium, which is going to help to transform your stress and your performance and your recovery and your sleep to the next level. I'm often asked like, well, what are the types of magnesium we should be looking for? So there's magnesium chelate and citrate and bisglycinate and malate, sucrosomial, taurate and orotate. They have various effects on the body. Bisglycinate, probably the most bioavailable and most absorbable. Malate, it's found naturally in fruits, helps with migraines. Chronic pain has been shown to help improve depression. Magnesium citrate uh, helps with arterial stiffness. It helps with maintaining a healthy weight. Magnesium chelate is important for muscle building, recovery and health. The list goes on and on. You're basically getting them all in one supplement. Each supplement itself is 500 milligrams of magnesium, which I feel is such a great dosage as a great baseline for most women. I have found a beautiful medium of actually cycling my magnesium. So I actually will take one or two of these. So I'm either getting 500 milligrams or up to a gram of magnesium, depending on where I am in my cycle. So head on over to biooptimizers.com forward slash better and use code better for 10% off of any order, but make sure that the magnesium breakthrough is in your cart. Don't be fooled by the frigid temperatures. Keeping hydrated in the wintertime is super important. In colder temperatures, we sweat more due to a higher metabolic demand of trying to maintain a core body temperature. 
We lose more fluids and electrolytes through our urine. We lose more water through respiration and just general breathing. And our skin dries out in the wintertime as well. We are a ski family. And over this winter, we have been using Elementee's Chocolate Medley. The chocolate chai is absolutely incredible with some boiling water, a splash of milk. And my kids love the chocolate mint with some hot water. This is our apres-ski. We cozy up with Element Hot After Hours on our cross-country trails. Now, for a limited time, you too can get the Element Tea Chocolate Medley and enjoy them hot, as I have been doing, with this exclusive insider bundle for you. When you buy three boxes of any flavor, it doesn't have to be the chocolate, it can be any of the flavors that they offer, you are going to get the fourth box free. If you head over to drinkelement.com forward slash Dr. Estima, you'll see that exclusive offer at the bottom of the page. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T.com forward slash D-R-E-S-T-I-M-A. And tell me which of the chocolate, Melody, you love the best. I'm eager really to dive into this conversation around doing less. This is pretty much all women. I mean, all men and women, but particularly baked into the DNA of women to always be achieving and trying to do more. And I think that you are the woman to do it. I have been, I've, I've known you for a couple, I've met you, um, Archangel Summit with Danielle Laporte. Like yeah, it was in 2017. Yeah. So a couple of years and I've just been following, uh, you know, we following you ever since, and you really do live and breathe this stuff. So I think that you are going to be able to provide some, uh, wonderful wisdom and some magnetism in terms of how we can be, uh, doing less to achieve, uh, more. So let's actually start with your origin story around how you came to this understanding and this knowing. Uh, You know, I I get the sense that you, as I am, uh, are a recovering perfectionist of sorts, Uh, still always a work in progress, right? Um, And you've been told, or at least I know that I have internalized a lot of the messages around like you have to be more, do more, have more all the time. So how did you awaken to this idea that you are in fact not a male and that you operate at a different cadence being a woman? It was getting pregnant that, I mean, it was just like this experience of making a human with my body without having to think about it. And I was like, that's interesting. I've been so hyper-identified with my mind and with my brain um, since, you know, ever, since I can remember. (laughs) Um, And I had this wild experience of like creating a human and not having had to do any research or like be smart or make a to-do list or be effective. <laughs> like any of the I'll things that liver this week, I must yeah. liver. Yeah. No, no, yeah. None of like, none of those things happened. And then this little baby was there and she had like what she needed. Um, and so I would say that was my first realization. And then it was when I got my period back after that pregnancy. So my daughter was 13 months old. And I really struggled on the first year of motherhood with um, postpartum insomnia, anxiety, a little depression, um, mastitis, you name it, it happened. (laughs) Um, And she was really sick. My baby was really sick with severe eczema and was like scratching and waking up bloody with blood all over the sheets. It was like a scene from a horror movie. It was not 
what you know, like so it wasn't media what the it wasn't like the nursery me. and the fantasy of being a new it, mother. Was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was bad, and um, so I felt quite uh, stressed and lost and um, out of control, and I was really hanging on by a thread emotionally in many ways. And then I got my period back, and it was like because I'd been nursing, um, through, you know, through that time and. It was this really amazing moment of feeling like it was this return to myself. And I got really excited to learn about my period, which is weird at 33, um, especially because I was raised by an OBGYN who like, likes to talk about it a lot, but I was just not interested really in learning about it until I was. And so what happened is I learned about these four um, hormonal phases that each of us go through who have periods each month. And I was so amazed that they are all metaphors energetically for the exact ingredients that we need for our creativity and for any creative project. And I just was so excited by that because I've been a productivity nerd my whole life. Um, you know, I've read just like every book on productivity. I just, I love that stuff. But it was this element of like, wow, my body has this built-in blueprint. I never really knew or I never really paid attention. And I felt this tremendous peace because it was a predictable thing that was happening within me that I could really rely on. And in this state of feeling so dramatically out of control as a new mother, I really needed something I could rely on. And it was, it turned out it was my body. It was so beautiful. And then I started to learn about how the moon is, is part of it and our creative cycles and even the four phases of pregnancy. If you think about the four trimesters and then the life cycle on the planet, like once you start to see it's everywhere. Everything um, is circle. Everything. It's everything. And so it's just so exciting because it's like, oh, there is nowhere to get. We're always just cycling. We're just, we're not trying to get anywhere. I mean, we're all dying. That's all we know for sure. Um, but other than that, like we're just kind of cycling around and it just helped me relax so profoundly as a recovering overachiever to be like, oh, I'm just, just here cycling, not going anywhere. <laughs> That's so great. And I love, I love the idea. Uh, you talk about this in the book around having your achievements and the things that you're doing, these external uh, markers as they should not be proxies for your worth, right? And I, I love this and I want to get into the cyclical living in just a moment, but I just want all the women that are listening to this right now to just let that sink in and linger in the air for a moment, right? Like we are not what we produce. Like we are not how small our waist is. We are not the things that we punch out every week. We are inherently worthy. And I, I used to very, very similar to what I think you're alluding to. I used to measure myself that way mm -hmm. and becoming a mother I mean, God, like I always say this, like there ain't no hood like motherhood, right? Like it is like <laughs> the longest personal development course you'll ever take. There's no feedback. You're just hoping that you don't raise sociopaths, right? Like that's like sometimes you're like, <laughs> totally. I don't know what's happening. So let's, uh, and I want to talk about, I, I want to dive into, uh, and you've been so, uh, thank you for sharing that about your daughter and like also just giving permission to 
say that like that new, that first year when everyone's like, oh, savor every moment and the days are long, but the years are short. It's like, I'm freaking tired. My kid is sick. I don't know what to do. Like this sucks. Um, so thank you yeah. for saying that because I think that there's so many women that either have trouble bonding with their, like they're, we're expected to just be like so in love with our baby from the first second. Yes. You know? And it, there's so much pressure that we have. I struggled with that. I haven't really talked about it a lot. Just the way my birth went down and you know, whatever. I really struggled with bonding with my first. Yeah. It was hard. It's hard. It's hard, yeah. especially when it doesn't go, when you don't get the birth. Like I wrote the birth plan. I was like, okay, here are the Cliff's notes, gave it to the <laughs> nurses and they're all like, yeah, okay, whatever chick, you know? And like, of course it didn't happen that way, but it's so hard. It's so yeah. hard. So th yeah. thank you. I just I so appreciate your honesty around that. So let, let's talk about this cyclical living um, and how men and women run on different cycles, you know, men on sort of, I like to call them like men are the sun, women are the moon, right? Yeah. Like men are the seed, women are the soil. Let's, let's talk about how men run uh, maybe briefly. And then I'd like for you to open up and I'd love for you to talk about the moon uh, as well. Cause I think that's super important for women. I think in modern life, we are so divorced from nature and think we are not of mm -hmm. this earth somehow. Mm -hmm. So talk about a little, talk a little bit about that. Awesome. Yeah. So what's really important to know, and I've just been learning so much more about, um, about gender and hormones and, you know, which parts are our identity and which parts are our hormones and which parts are our biology and which parts are who we are as a soul. And so I do want to say that when we get into a conversation about hormones and biology, it gets a little messy and I'm just doing my best. Um, so I do want to highlight that and just say people who are testosterone dominant have hormonal cycles that are every 24 hours. People who are estrogen dominant have hormonal cycles that are every 28 days. Some of the people who are estrogen dominant also have periods. But you don't so, have to have a period. You don't have to have a period in order for this to apply to you. you and also- women in transition, you could be menopausal. Like, it can, like you don't have to have- Oh, or have a hysterectomy or be pregnant. Like- there are so many reasons you may not have a period. Um, and even if you don't have a period, this totally applies. Even if you identify as a man, this totally applies. Because now, granted, we live in a patriarchy. So the reason this is important is we are hyper-identified with the fact that as a culture, we're now breaking this down, right? Um, how, and we're dismantling this. But as a culture for a very long time, the assumed norm has been white, cisgender, male, heterosexual. And so our whole world was set up for that kind of person. And um, I'm married to one of those people. My dad is one of those people. I love those people. And also, they're just one kind of person. And so the problem that we have is that our whole world was set up for the 24-hour cycle, which at least 50% of the population is not experiencing. Right. So 50% of the population, I'm one of them, has sort of felt like every planner system and all the time management stuff and all the like 10x your productivity and, you know, high impact and, you know, whatever. Like sometimes it feels like it applies and then sometimes it just feels really aggro and aggressive, like, and like almost violent. Yes. And that is because a testosterone dominant person goes through the four phases every 24 hours. So that person, it makes sense that their days are designed identically 
and that they would do the same thing every day and feel more or less the same every day and be able to go harder than the day before in some cases, right? That's sort of like the assumption we have that the idea is to do more and go harder every day until you die. Which when we say that out loud, like it's really sick. It's really crazy. <laughs> like, what do really you do? Do you get a medal? Like, what? Yeah, you die yeah. like everyone else was going to die anyway. <laughs> That's what happens. Um, and then for estrogen dominant people, we have this cyclical experience that's over 28 days ish. Now, you know, some cycles are 25 days, some cycles are 32 days. But basically, we have this sort of like beautiful, luxurious, experience of going through these four different phases during the month from uh, in blocks of time from five days to up to 14 days, depending on our hormonal ebbs and flows. And so these four phases hold the blueprint, like I said, for the energy and the focus that we need to create literally everything, whether it is a human being or a dinner party or an online launch or a conference, or a birthday cake. Like it literally, like creation's big and small, they're all equal, and they all require these four same ingredients. And for estrogen-dominant people, we have those four phases throughout the month, and we just need to go macro instead of micro to begin to change our relationship to time and stop beating ourselves up for not feeling the exact same way every single day. There's nothing wrong with us that we don't have a testosterone-dominant body. I always, I always say that uh, morning routines and this morning routine movement is so sexist. Oh my God. I give a hard eye roll to yeah. the whole thing. Like I do, have a, I do have a very simple morning routine and it actually has to do with cyclical planning. Yeah. Um, it takes me like two minutes, but the whole, I just, yeah. yeah well, you see like, and it's always like, like you said, it's like the cis, you know, hetero, white. And it's like, I spent four hours today making my special tea. Who usually does not have children or who has somebody else caring for their exactly. children. Exactly. There's a woman somewhere taking care of the kids. Like my kids wake me up. My kids no. are the ones that w- I don't. What morning routine? Yeah. Mama, mama, yeah. I hungry. Mama, I hungry. <laughs> That's my morning routine. Exactly. That's my Mommy, morning routine. What's for breakfast? Right. <laughs> So I love what you're saying because I, I, I think that women, I think that the first thing that women typically do is they blame themselves. Like I can't do a three hour morning routine. What's wrong with me? Oh, it must be my lack of discipline. It must be my lack of focus. I must be terrible at time management. Right. That's what people, that's what women say. Oh, I'm just bad at managing time. And I'm like, well, maybe you're trying to manage your time with a system that wasn't designed for you in the first place. Can I get an amen? Okay, good. So let's talk about, let's actually talk about those different uh, cycles. And I love in the book, uh, Do Less, you talk about the new moon, the waxing moon, the full moon, uh, the waning moon. So maybe expand a little bit on that and talk about how our energetic ebbs and flows, our creativity, when is the good, you know, and when is the good time to be, you know, asking for a raise or giving a presentation or just getting shit done? Like what, talk, talk about all of that. <laughs> Okay, great. So there are these four phases and they are the same energetically as the four seasons that we go through. You know, I know you live in Toronto. I live in Maine. So we're in very seasonal locations. Um, And so it's very apparent. So it's easy to remember because they're all grouped together. So the menstrual phase when a woman is bleeding or a person with a period is bleeding is the same energy as winter, which is the same energy as the new moon. 
And if you are thinking in terms of gardening or farming analogies, it's the fallow period. It's when you are giving the soil a break to refertilize it, to allow it to become more fertile the next time around, right? So during that time, now by the way, if you are a person with a period, you do not need to get your period on the new moon. You're not doing it wrong if you don't get your period on the new moon. I do not get my period on the new moon right now. I often get it on the full moon. So what I say in that situation, because people are like, well, what do I pay attention to? To my period or to the moon? I say body first. So pay attention to what's going on with your body first. And then you can add in a flavor of the moon. And I think about that, like what's happening with your own menstrual cycle is like the foundational garment of your outfit. So like the little black dress. And then what's going on with the moon is the accessories. I love that. So, you know, what scarf, handbag, jewelry, that sort of thing. Great. Okay. It's just a flavor. (laughs) So when we are in that fallow winter menstrual new moon, I also call it the fertile void when it comes to our projects and productivity, um, is that is the time for rest, reflection, restoration, and uh, possibly um, research, depending on what, you know, what it is. I do a lot of like a little more reading when I'm having my period because I'm, I'm low energy, but I'm also like receptive. Mm-hmm. I'm interested still mm-hmm. in the world. And this is a really great time to make decisions. So for people with periods, our brain, our left and right hemispheres are the most interconnected during this time and our intuition will be on point. We'll, we have access to information that we do not usually have access to during that time. So uh, the two women who wrote the book, Wild, shoot, what is it called? Wild Power. Their book is called Wild Power. So it's, it's white with red on it. Yes. What, yes, yes. I know the book. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. So they're wonderful. And they talk about instead of sleeping on a decision to bleed on a decision, yes. which is fascinating. So if a girlfriend calls me or one of my clients call me and they're like, I don't know, la, 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 la. this could be, or that could be, da, da, da. I say, well, what day of your cycle are you on? And if they're on like day 24, I'll say, can you wait four days for this decision? Cause you'll know within five seconds, the day you start your period, you'll just know. Mm-hmm. Um, so that saves a lot of time because on average we spent, we waste seven and a half hours a week making decisions. Whoa. Mm-hmm. That's according to the Daily Mail in the UK. Wow. Uh-huh. It's like a lot okay. of waste of time. That's like yeah, a- because the indecision, right? So I don't know what's right. And we've never been taught to trust ourselves. And so there's like a lot wrapped up in there. The next phase is like the springtime. So it's the springtime of our month. Um, it's the springtime of a project. And it is also the follicular phase. It is also the waxing moon. So it's when, it's also the time when Um, A seed would be planted like at the end of the fallow period, at the end of sort of that new moon. And then, because that's what we we plant our intentions, we set our intentions, plant desire, seeds of desire during the new moon. And then the follicular phase is when those those seeds are germinating. They're just kind of taking shape and taking form. This is the time of initiation. This is the time of starting something new, trying out a new workout. Um, initiating a new project, brainstorming, planning, mapping out, you know, like letting your creative ideas fly and then actually taking action steps to get going because you'll tend to have a lot of energy mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally to just like start something new. A lot of inspiration during this time. 
Next up, I call that also um, the emergence phase in terms of productivity. Mm -hmm. So in my projects, we actually like in a launch, we will actually map out this is the fertile void, this is emergence, this is what we're doing during emergence. So emergence is like the pre-launch phase. And then visibility is the next one, same energy as ovulation, the summertime, full moon. And visibility, like this energy, is all about being open to cross-pollination. It is literally when we're our most fertile physically during the summertime of the month, during ovulation on about day 14, 15 of your cycle. But it is also when we are most energetically fertile. And waitresses report getting their highest tips during ovulation. Fascinating. I've also had the experience, our pheromones are just different during this time. Like there's just more attention in interesting ways. And of course that can be complicated, but um, for, for the purposes of today's conversation, I'm just going to keep it at that. This time is great for batching uh, podcast recordings, for doing a presentation, for pitching an idea. Um, you're going to be your most verbally fluent during this time. It's a great time for making videos, for doing webinars, um, anything that is requiring you to be on and magnetic. So that's the ovulation phase, the visibility phase. And then next up, we have what I call culmination as far as productivity, um, but it is the time of month called the luteal phase. It's also the time of the waning moon and the energy of autumn. So this is the time of wrapping things up. So think about like a little squirrel gathering nuts for the winter. This is that time. <laughs> this is We are like battening down the hatches and a lot of women get this uncontrollable urge to nest right before they have the baby. That is the, you are moving into the culmination phase of your pregnancy. And it's like, let me get all the details done so that I can rest in the winter time. And that's the culmination phase. Your brain will be the most focused during that time. You'll be the least social. The least social is, is luteal and menstrual, but particularly luteal is, it's the 10 to 14 days before your period starts. You're not going to feel particularly social, but you will feel more focused. And if you can find yourself a room with a door to just put your head down and get stuff done, it's a beautiful time to check off a bunch of things on your to-do list as long as nobody's bothering you. Um, during like the, the luteal phase, it's like the harvest. Like, yes, fall, it's, like, right? mm -hmm, yeah. it's like harvesting, like we're, you know, we're making jelly, we're pickling vegetables, we're filling up the root cellar. You know, it's very much like chop water, chop wood, carry water, yes. um, dotting I's, crossing T's. It's a time when um, I'll look at like analytics. I'll, it's, it's, it's definitely our most analytical time because we're most detail oriented. I try to keep, um, one of the women in one of my programs uh, came up with this idea of the luteal list. She's like me. We're much more big picture thinkers. So doing things like paperwork or like little nidgy stuff just is like, nails on a chalkboard, but um, we keep a luteal list of things <laughs> that just need to be done. And if they can be delayed, we do them during our luteal phase because they're so much easier at that time. And less painful. Yeah. And yeah. less painful. Yeah. This is also, uh, just the final note on this, this is also the time when you will feel, you will have a negativity bias. So it's been normalized in our culture as PMS. And so PMS, I just want to be clear, is a, is a, um, is dysregulated hormone. So PMS is not normal. Um, you can do things about that. Um, and 
there are so many wonderful people who can help. I'm not one of them. But <laughs> I do want you to know that like you don't have to suffer through that. And it is what so so PMS is not does not have to be your reality, even though we've created this whole thing that it's normal. It's not. Um, or it's not necessarily healthy, I'll say. It's, com- it's common. It's not it's normal. Common. Thank yes. you. Yeah. That's excellent. Yeah. <laughs> um, however, it is normal to have a negativity bias during this time and feel like you might want to close down your business or leave your partner or like drop your kids off by the side of the road. So those things, there's usually one or two days a month that I'm just like, I hate my life. I'm burning this shit down. Right. But I know that during that time is not the time to be making decisions. It's just like, oh, that's good information. I'm going to take note. And then when my period comes, I'm going to listen inside for what changes I may need to make through this next cycle to improve upon the information that I received during my luteal phase. I'm so happy that you said this because just like we have normalized menstrual pain in this society and like it is very common. It is not normal. And I want to uh, also just highlight what you just said around and, and this ties into what you're saying around this, this cyclicity of things. When I find a couple of days right before my period, I'm definitely more sensitive. I'm definitely more emotional and it's okay. You know, when we think about this, even in the, in the realm of healing, right? So we think we've worked, like I, this happened to me just the other day. I was in a mastermind. I was called upon to share something, you know, how I came to a certain conclusion about something. And I was talking about something that happened to me in my childhood, which I have done so much work on. Like I have done talk therapy, CBT, psychedelic, like I have done the things and it came up and I was like, and I was like, okay, it needs to come. It just, you know, so I think that things come back and around again in order for, and especially around that time of your period, you may, or your cycle rather, you may feel a little bit more emotional, that negativity bias that you were mentioning, but that's an opportunity for you to feel your feelings and to metabolize whatever is coming up. So that the next time it comes around again, you may have a different way of approaching it. Yeah. I love that. So well said. Beautiful. I am incredibly bullish on sauna as a therapy for recovery, heart health, and overall aging well. I personally decided on an infrared sauna from Sunlighten because of the range of far wavelengths and near infrared wavelengths that it offers. Saunas help with detoxification and rejuvenation to rid your body of toxins. It helps with heart health by improving circulation, reducing blood pressure, and helping keep the arteries supple. It helps with muscle recovery by easing the tension and soreness to recover faster. And of course, stress reduction with the warmth and the relaxation of sitting in a sauna. It's crucial for hormonal balance and achieving a state of well-being necessary for a strong physique and a strong mind. If you visit sunlighten.com slash better and use code better to get a discount. That is sunlighten, S-U-N-L-I-G-H-T-E-N.com slash B-E-T-T-E-R and use code better at checkout. All right, let's talk about time. So you mentioned this a second, uh, uh, a few moments ago, and I wanted to just circle back see what I did with that <laughs> with time. And I actually really love this. You, you talked about this idea that time where you said like, it, you know, you get the time back every single day. And I think that for so many women that are trying to do all the things, we always feel like we have to like scrape every last minute back because we're running out of time. 
and I think this was in the in the book. You talked about this as a conversation I think you had with your sister, and you just had this like aha light bulb moment around time of in and of itself is also cyclical. Can you expand a little mm-hmm. bit on that as well? Yeah. So my sister and I um, ended up having dinner one time with this lady who told us that uh, there's a something called time synesthesia, which turns out I have. And people who have time synesthesia actually see time. So if you say to me, where's May? Like I can, I just point to, like it's right here. And that's a very weird thing to say for somebody who doesn't have this, but if you have it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And I have always just seen the calendar as a circle. Mm-hmm. It never occurred to me that other people didn't see it that way until this conversation with this woman. And she was like, yeah, that's a, that's a thing. That's a thing that not all people have. And I was like, that's so cool. So then I started thinking about, oh, okay, well, I think about the year as a circle. I always have, so that as we're going through the year, we're coming closer to the beginning again, right? We're going like, we're now we're in July, we're getting closer to January. Six o'clock, um, like right here. Yeah, so yeah, exactly, six o'clock. Yes, exactly. And then I was talking to my sister one time and she was like, yeah, and imagine how cool it is when you imagine the day as a circle. So like the 24 hours Around, you know, if there were 24 slices of pie in a circle, the day as a 24-hour clock, essentially. And I, and I was like, oh, yeah, of course, like clocks are, you know, original clocks, the uh, analog ones are circular. Um, how cool. <laughs> and, but not their 12-hour, right? Yeah. And I just began to play with that, thinking through, oh, what if we did see the day as a circle so that as we're going through the day, we're not running out of time. We're actually gaining time because we're getting close to the beginning again. So each day as we move through, we're, we're beginning again and we're beginning again and we're beginning again. And it's like these little opportunities to just refresh and restart. So instead, it's just a much more abundant relationship with time as opposed to a lack relationship with time. And I find it really relaxing. Yes. And, and it, it is, it's a relaxing thought because you always, again, recovering perfectionist, you're like, I got to get it all done. I got to punch out the 10,000 things I have on my to-do list today or else I'm behind. I'm behind tomorrow. But instead of looking at it that way, I love this reframe because it's like, okay, I have more time coming up. I have more, like I have a <laughs> refill in my glass that's coming. Yes. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. So building on this cyclical cadence, you, you describe something called egg wisdom. And I think that this is so important for women to hear, whether it is in your relational, uh, you know, activities, it is in your business. Um, you know, you are, you know, the daughter of someone who I consider like, you know, the matriarch of, you know, women's health and uh, medicine. And I, I, I think I remember you saying that you, you'd had conversations with her and she calls this sort of the way that the egg behaves. Uh, so yes. let, let's talk about how we need to, or how we can channel more of the magnetism that the egg uh, has and, and like, you know, stop acting like sperm, essentially. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. this concept did come from my mother, Dr. Christian Northrup, and um, she really encouraged me to put it in the book, Do Less. And then um, I actually made a necklace, which I'm wearing. It's the egg wisdom necklace mm-hmm. as a reminder <laughs> of this concept, which is oh. basically... That each month, um, a person who ovulates releases an egg, and that's called ovulation. And that egg actually sends out a signal that, so the egg is up in the fallopian tube. 
but the it has a signal. Now, when you're not pregnant, your uterus is actually not that big. But when you think about how microscopic an egg is, it's really far from the opening of the cervix. And so what happens is the egg sends a signal that goes all the way down the fallopian tube and all the way through the uterus and all the way down to the opening of the cervix that actually tells the sperm where she is. And that signal is so strong that it actually speeds up the rate at which the sperm swim to her. So sperm that come in at a time of non-ovulation will not swim as fast as sperm coming in at a time of ovulation. Fascinating. Now, the egg doesn't have to go anywhere. She just sits there and puts out her signal. And then the sperm come wildly swimming. There's like a whole bunch of them. And you've probably seen the video where they're all like banging their heads against the edge of the egg. And it's really intense looking. And it looks like the strongest sperm is the one that gets in. This is not the case. Actually, the egg decides which sperm she will allow in. So she has an excellent boundary. So her membrane is very strong excellent boundary, but she's receptive for what she chooses. She's receptive and available and open to allow in what is right for her. So she chooses the sperm or the sperms in case of multiple multiples. Um, and I can't, I don't know about the, you know, the fraternal versus identical. I don't remember how that works, but, <laughs> but I'm not a doctor, so I don't need to. So then what's so amazing is the sperm goes in there. And so now the egg is being fertilized and the egg has the ability to repair the sperm's DNA if there's something wrong with the sperm. So as my mom says, she has the ability to egg on the sperm and make it even better. And we know that like, the feminine principle does have a tendency to improve upon things, whether it's making them more beautiful, making them more safe, making them more nourished. Like that is the feminine in all of us. And that is the feminine in the egg. And then she has enough nutrients to feed her and the sperm as the egg makes a several day journey from the fallopian tube down into the uterus to embed in the uterine lining, which is its new source of nutrients. So the whole metaphor here is the egg sits. She puts out a clear signal, but she does not go anywhere. She doesn't do anything. <laughs> she's not like checking to see if the sperm is coming. She's not calling her girlfriend. She's not like going down there to stand on the porch and wait to see if maybe he's going to do a drive-by. Like she just sits and she trusts. And she allows the sperm to come to her she allows in what is right for her, but she says no to what is wrong for her. And then she has the ability to improve upon her desire and nourish it once it arrives. She is the queen that she is. Yeah. yeah the egg is the queen. Yes. In all of us. And all of our bodies were made through this very principle. So whether you identify as a man or a woman or non-binary, this is how your body was made too. And so we can all lean into egg wisdom no matter what our identity is. And that's what's really cool. And I, I like to ask myself when I have a desire, am I being the egg or am I being the sperm? And, and most of us, we've just been programmed to believe that sperm-like behavior is right. But it's only half of the equation. It doesn't mean sperm-like behavior is wrong, but it just means we're super unbalanced and more of us could lean into our eggness. 
Yes. And this is like the masculine and feminine energy, which as you were saying, exists in every human person. Um, and it, re- it reminds me of the book, you've probably heard of it, Power Versus Force. And I've never read it, but I have heard of it. So the two words when I first heard, I was like, oh, what's the difference? Power force. <laughs> it's the same thing, right? And it, but it's, so, it's exactly what you're describing. Like power is like sitting in your own power, trusting the process, fully embodied, being the creatrix, allowing the stuff to come to you. And the force is kind of like that, you know, that sperm-like behavior where it's like, pushing and like you're in the ring and you're, you know, it's the square peg and the rat, like you're trying to like force stuff to happen. And I think that this is so important for so many women because we are, as you were saying, we are taught to behave like the sperm, to push and force and thrust and like keep pushing. And at some point you'll push the big boulder up the hill when you can also begin to channel your divine feminine wisdom, which is to just sit back and manifest what it is that you want. Yeah. All right. So in the book, you have all these, um, I want to say challenges, like the, the, the competitive person in me is like, oh my God, a challenge? Like, yes. <laughs> so you have all these challenges. There's a couple of them that I want to really highlight. Uh, first, tracking your cycle. I think so important for any woman to know where she is. The one I wanted to double click on first is listening to your body. Now, this is and an intangible skill. It's been lost in transmission through the ages and through the generations. So I love some of the, can you walk us through, you know, if someone is, you know, very heady person, so like they kind of live from the throat up, how can we begin to sink, you know, underneath the throat into our, you know, somatic container and begin to listen to our bodies? So this takes time and practice. So if you're somebody who has not practiced this before, it's probably not going to be something that you're going to feel like you've really got down pat in a day. This is a lifelong practice because we have been taught in so many ways to cut off the messages that are coming from our body, whether that's through procedures, medication, um, trusting doctors more than ourselves, trusting authority figures more than ourselves, trusting the government more than ourselves. Like there's just so many layers to that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we come by it honestly that we don't know how to listen to our bodies and we don't even know what that means. But our body's messages show up in a variety of ways. I know for me, my body's message often shows up in the form of some kind of illness. So here's a practical example. Back in 2011, I had this speaking gig in New York City at Donna Karen's Urban Zen Center. So it was a big deal for me. Um, it was the Reveal Conference. And I had not spoken at something like that caliber of event before. And I was in Phoenix at the time. My boyfriend at the time, who's now my husband, dropped me off at the airport. And I literally got out of the car and ran to the nearest trash can and threw up. I was like, that's weird. <laughs> that's, that's weird. Um, and I just was like, okay, well, I guess I'm just going to get on this plane. We'll see how this goes. So I proceeded to spend the entire flight throwing up. I spent the whole flight sitting on the floor of the airplane bathroom because I could not move from the toilet, which is disgusting. <laughs> and then once I got to New York City, I was so sick, I had to be wheeled off the plane oh in a wheelchair. Oh my God. Oh my because God. I could not walk. 
And then I ended up getting to my apartment and I slept for 16 hours. And then I woke up the next day. I did not end up being able to plan my talk because I had planned to do it in the day before and on the flight. But I was going to show up for the event. So I showed up. I gave the talk of my life and I ended up being asked, like being offered a book deal from that talk. Wow. Here's why I'm telling you the story. A, it was, it was, you know, wild. B, here's what most people would do in that situation. Most people would have gone to the emergency room and hopped themselves up on a bunch of drugs because they would have gone into fear and panic. I have known myself long enough to know that if I'm having symptoms, it is likely because I am going through some sort of spiritual or emotional upgrade. And I just need to ride it out and listen. And so that's what I did. Now, I am in no way saying if you are scared that you should not seek medical attention. I am saying I was not scared. So I did not. <laughs> okay, so I'm not, this is not meant to like in any way. Um, tell you to go against what you need. But what I needed was to rest and be still and clear what was clearing, which I know for me at that time was anything holding me back from stepping into the next level of my, um, I mean, for lack of a better way to say it, the next level of my power or my luminosity or my ability to have an impact. And so it was a great example of listening to my body because what I knew was if my body was taking me, taking me out, I needed to be taken out. So I just surrendered mm-hmm. and I let it move through me and this beautiful, you know, this beautiful uh, results happened and my body was preparing me to receive this next level and um, a, a great amount of clearing was required to make wow. space for that. Yes. Um, now that's a really dramatic story. Sometimes our inner knowing is just like a little, you know, a little tightness in the bottom of our stomach or um, a little fluttering in our heart. You know, like that feeling of like, ooh, I'm feeling my heart's beating a little bit faster. I, I'm, I'm a little short of breath right now. So those are all signs like what's happening right now. What, what do I need to be listening to? What do I need to be paying attention to? And it's just a moment to stop and take stock and say, like, is there something happening that I need to know? What does my body want me to know right now? What does it want me to pay attention to? And so that can be a very simple practice that you just do every day, in very small ways, like, what does my body need right now? What is it asking me to pay attention to? What is it drawing my attention to? And then to just pay attention. That's fabulous. I love that. And I, and I I think that it's so simple. I think we assume that in order to listen to our bodies, it needs to be so complicated. Like there needs to be like, something's going to come up from the right shoulder and then my leg's going to do this. Like it's just, it's just about quieting. It's just about quieting the, I mean, the chatter is always going to happen in the mind, but it's just about sinking in. I, and, and, you know, you give this example in the book where for women who have never done this practice before, you know, asking yourself, like, if it was me, I would say, is my name Stephanie? And like, listening, what, what is she saying? You know, or is my name Kate? And listening how, how and contrasting how those things feel. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know what's so fascinating about the name example? Because if you ask yourself something you know is unequivocally true, you will feel what a yes feels like. And if you ask yourself something that you know is unequivocally no, you will feel what a no feels like. But I know women and people who have um, actually changed their name. They have, they've chosen a new name other than their given name because their name they were given did not feel like a yes to them. So our bodies always know because they, you know, they might have been named Jane when they were born, but their body always said no. And, you know, same thing. We've been talking a lot about gender identity. Just because the world thinks that you're one thing does not mean your body does not know what it is. Right. So well said. All right, let's, let's move into asking and receiving. So these were two separate uh, chapters in the book. And Listen, I'm still building out my asking muscles and building out my receiving muscles. Um, I think I think the thing with women, and this is I don't want to say baked into our DNA, but I, it's like we just think that if we ha- if we have to ask for help, somehow we're not good enough to do it on our own, capable enough to do it on our own, or we're, we should be able, we should 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 we should be able to do this, should be able to do that which is followed almost immediately by, this is going to be such an inconvenience for them. Oh my God, they don't, they secretly really don't want it. Like they hate me. Like they're just doing this because they feel like they have to. So just unpack a little bit what the problem is with that typical line of thinking when women want to ask for help and how we can really shift this. I almost call it like victim, like victim thinking into one of strength and one of empowerment. Like how is asking for help actually an act of strength? Yeah. Well, um, first of all, just the belief that the more we can do by ourselves, the more valuable we are is just not true. So that's just a lie. It is the tool of the patriarchy to keep us stuck. Yeah. Because if, if we cannot become interdependent on one another, we cannot band together to actually create systems and structures that serve life and dismantle the systems and structures that are not serving us, that are not supporting life. Um, it really creates um, separation. So when I believe that my ability to do something is what's most important and do it by myself, then that is separating me from the rest of humanity. And that really is like, it's a lie and it's, it's very painful and toxic. The other thing that's important to know, and I've witnessed this in my own community so much, when we are willing to get a little uncomfortable, a little vulnerable and ask for help, what ends up happening is that we give the next woman or person permission to do the same. So then the next time they are struggling or are at the end of their bandwidth or literally just could use some help, like it doesn't have to be an emergency, then they also are like, oh, wow, like, Dr. Stephanie is an incredible, powerful woman. She asked for help. Like, I guess I can too. And so what it ends up doing is it breaks the trance that we all have to do it ourselves. And it actually uplifts all the people in your sphere if you're the one willing to go first. And I've noticed this in my own neighborhood with the other moms. Like, you know, just being like, hey, do you have a lemon? Or like, hey, can I drop my daughter off at 6 a.m.? Because I have a fertility appointment. And like, I got to drive to Boston. Like, can you take care of her? Hey, like, can I, you know, hey, can I bring you a casserole, right? Because that, literally, I do live in that kind of neighborhood. It's kind of nice. I want to move to your street. I know, it's really sweet. But like, when I ask for help, I get my needs met. 
And then when the next person needs help, I'm available to help her because my cup is full. And we all need help at different times in different ways. And that's like the web of humanity. So it doesn't mean you're going to always be on the receiving end. Actually asking for help allows you to be on the giving end in a more more wholehearted, generous way next time around. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So how do we begin to notice that we need help? So I think that that's um, maybe the next step because asking for help like I said, I'm, I'm getting better at saying, okay, like this is something I need to speak to somebody about. I need to mull it over with someone or I need some assistance. But even just knowing or, un, or coming to the uh, idea or the understanding that I might need some help, how do you begin uh, or how do you know when you need to ask for help? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, one sign is that you're irritated um, and they... <laughs> And that you're feeling friction and that you're feeling overwhelmed. Like those are all signs that you need to ask for help. However, here's the thing. When we make asking for help a practice every single week, every single day, then we don't have to wait until we're irritated or overwhelmed or feeling stressed or stretched. And then what ends up happening is I talk about this in the book. I talk about how when we ask early, we become so much easier to help, right? So if I ask, if I text my mom right now and say like, hey, can you go pick up Penelope at pre-K? Well, my mom's got a lot going on. Like, I don't know, she might be able to, but she probably won't. But if I asked her on Monday, like, hey, on Wednesday afternoon, can you pick Penelope up at pre-K? It's far more likely that she can make space for that. So I've asked her early. If we ask kindly, we just are, it's just easier to say yes to somebody who's saying like, hey, babe, do you mind? Can you like fix that thing in my computer because it's broken? You know, thank you so much. I love you. As opposed to like, you good for nothing. Like you don't do shit around here, right? I mean, not that that's what you would actually say, but there's a lot of the energy of that sometimes in asking where it's coming from a place of resentment and like years of martyring ourselves. Mm -hmm. And then finally, we completely lose it. And our ask is so hysterical and like really, really, really resentful and awful. And it doesn't mean that like you can't ask if you're not feeling joyful and loving. It just means it's going to, you're going to get, be more likely to get a yes if you do it kindly. And then finally asking often. And I talked about making this a weekly practice. So I do my weekly planning ritual with my do less planner every Sunday night. And I look through the week And I look for moments where I might need support, whether it's from my team, from my husband, from my family, uh, from a friend. Like I look for holes in my own capability during the week. And I look for opportunities where I could lean into support. And I do that every single week because for me, as a hyper capable identified woman, it's been really important for me to grow that muscle. And I'm still working on it too. Yeah. And it also, I like this early, often, and kind because it also changes the, the energetic signature that it, mm-hmm. comes, that it comes with, right? And like you were saying, like sometimes it's like, oh, can you just take out the damn trash, you know, <laughs> versus, you know, you looking ahead and saying, where can I actually ask for help this week? Who can I ask help from? Um, let, let's, uh, I'd love your, your thoughts on, or how you distinguish between 
vulnerability and weakness. And this ties into what we're saying a little bit because vulnerability, being able to be vulnerable, like you were saying, if I were to ask you know, you for something, it gives, and someone witnesses that, it gives the permission for someone else to say, oh, like she needs help. Maybe, you know, maybe I can ask for something too versus, uh, you know, me asking for help and, and feeling like, you know, a loser or feeling weak. Like what, how do you, do you distinguish? I mean, I, I do, I, I assume, I'm assuming that you might as well between <laughs> vulnerability and, uh, and weakness. Yeah. I mean, it's not something I've directly thought about uh, in, in that dichotomy a lot, but I think about vulnerability a lot. And I think about um, someone who feels sort of so grounded in themselves, feels so safe, feels so strong in their identity. That to me is uh, someone who can be vulnerable because it's like, yeah, I, I am putting myself on the line. I am risking something. This person may say no, and I won't crumble. Right? Like I ask for things all the time that people say no to. And I'm like, great, thanks. It, I don't go cry in a corner. I'm not losing my mind. Like it's not that big of a deal because I am a very strong woman. Mm-hmm. Now, weakness to me is somebody who is hyper dependent on what other people think about them for their self-identity. And for them, receiving a no might crumble them. And so how can we begin to change so that change our self-identity so that asking for help is no longer a sign of weakness, but asking for help is a sign of strength because a strong person knows that her ability to do everything by herself has nothing to do with her value. She knows her value is inherent. And that to me is tremendous strength. And then she can totally be vulnerable and put herself on the line because it's not going to take her out right? if it doesn't go her way. And I think when you allow that vulnerability as well, you become like talking about that egg wisdom, you become more magnetic. Mm-hmm. I know that for myself, for the longest time, I was like, you know, like a robot, like this is my, who I am. And this is, but the moment that I softened into, you know what, my life, there's been challenges. I've had this or that happen in my life and spoken about it. I've had people, you know, either publicly or privately come to me and say like, thank you so much for giving this a voice because, and I feel so much more connected to you now. So it's, it's this funny thing where the more vulnerable and open you are, the more people, uh, the right people that you attract, yeah. you know, into your, um, so true because, you know, back to egg wisdom, like you make yourself available The egg has great boundaries. She's really strong, but she's also receptive. That's the vulnerability piece, right? Mm -hmm. Like we are receptive to what's right for us. We can let in something else. And so when we are willing to receive, receiving is a place of vulnerability. That's why some of us have been scared to do it, right? Right. Um, But when we allow that in, we, we can receive so much more than if we're just trying to like be the strong one all the time. Yeah. Let, let's build on this idea of uh, female friendships and community, because I think this is another area of vulnerability. I personally resisted this for the longest time. I was like, I'm going to be an island. I don't need anyone. I'm just going to do it myself. And of course, when I, and maybe some of that's like tainted uh, experiences and what have you, but I have come to this place where I now know that female friendships are 
so important to my health and well-being. Of course, it takes the pressure off of my partner and, you know, and being in a community where I feel like I can be myself yeah. and take off the mask, you know, for talking, uh, not, not, not this mask, <laughs> but the, you know, if you're listening on audio, I'm like gesturing to the, uh, yeah. Uh, to the mask covering your mouth, but I mean like the 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 proverbial mask where we hide who we authentically are. Um, you have also you discussed this in your book, and I resonated with this so much because I have come to this place now where I'm like I need my female friends, and we uh, like I just did my first like sacred moon circle thing. I had some friends over. We had uh, around the full moon awesome. a little ritual. But speak speak to the power of community and speak to the power of maintaining and investing in friendship? Well, um, this is not a topic I ever talk about because, uh, or I very rarely talk about because like, it's always been so much a part of my life that I totally take it for granted. Mm-hmm. I have friends that I've had since I was two. Um, <laughs> so like, wow. I just like prioritizing friendships to me is like breathing. Um, uh, right now, I am part of a peer-led uh, sort of mastermind that's all girlfriends that I knew before, and I we have this Voxer stream, and I listen to it like it's my favorite podcast, and we just are Voxing each other all day, every day, and I don't think I would be able to function without these women. Um, my marriage would not be as good. I would not be as good of a mother. They give me brilliant business ideas. They help me work through everything, and uh, I just... I just would be so lonely without them. And they see me in a way I don't see myself. So they see my highest um, when I forget. You know, I forget who I am. I get lost. I'm like, I don't even know what I'm doing. Like, maybe I should close my business. You know, all of that. And they're like, no, 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 no. Here's who you are. Um, And I do the same for them. And then we just laugh and share resources and, you know, around moments of, of real um, intensity too, like we can really hold each other if, if one woman is having this intense trauma response or, you know, some sort of thing happening in their, her business. Like it's just, it would be so much, way too much pressure on my husband um, if I didn't have, have, have uh, friends, mostly girlfriends and a couple of amazing men as well. Yeah. And I think that you know, this has come up a couple of times on the podcast, like how we've, we do these, uh, ask me anything. And one of the questions was around like, how do I cultivate female friendships? And I think, you know, we had talked about some ways that you can kind of like meet and like date your, you know, date your friends, kind of like what you're talking about with these like Voxer, like Voxer church, you know, it's like you go to church every day and it's like your female, it's like female church. Um, I, I think when I, when I think about our, you know, your book and this conversation, the through line here is surrender, right? Like you can't control everything. Um, the way that you think, the way that you've been taught in this patriarchal world order where you have to push and shove and, you know, work your hands to the bone and someday you get to die. Um, I would love for you, if you can, to, I I remember reading in the book, I don't know if this is still the case. Do you have a a mastermind that you run? I do. Yeah. So tell, if people are like, wow, this is really resonating with me, where can people find you? Uh, I know you have a podcast, like tell everybody all the places that they can find you. Yeah. So if you go to katenorthrup.com, that's the best place to find me. I do have um, a free guide that is the weekly planning ritual that I mentioned. And so you can also has a little audio with it to guide you through it. So that practice changed my life. Um, and my clients as well, which is why I talk about it. Um, so you can check that out there. It's right at the top of the website. 
Um, I also have, I do have the Origin Collective, which is my membership for um, entrepreneurs who want to grow their business while doing less. And the waitlist for that is over at origincollective.com. Um, and then I do have a mastermind as well. And I actually don't know what the link is to that. Isn't that amazing? But I'll find it. I'll put it. In the I think notes. it's somewhere. Yeah. I think it's origincollective.com forward slash incubator. Okay. Um, and if it's not that, that'll redirect to the right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Great example. You do not have to be perfect to be successful. <laughs> exactly. Right. It's like someone handles the links. I, I don't I know. Just... <laughs> um, and then uh, I have a podcast with my husband, the Kate and Mike show. And then in terms of social media, I hang out the most on Instagram at Kate Northrup. It has been such a joy talking to you, Kate. I mean, it's so anytime I get to hang out with another strong, embodied female who has come to some of these really powerful conclusions, it's all, it like charges me up. I feel like mm-hmm. I have energy now for a couple of days. So thank you so much for this. And I know that I, I know that this is going to be so valuable for our listeners as well. Thank you so much. It was really a pleasure. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Kate Northrup. I know that I felt like it was almost like a fireside chat, like we were just kind of two girlfriends jamming and sort of dishing on secrets uh, with each other. And I hope that this was very valuable for you and that you might share this with another girlfriend or a guy friend that you think would benefit from this. And I also just wanted to invite you, if you haven't already, to check out the Estima Diet. This is my signature program. It is a nutrition-based program. Program. It's primarily for women. We have had men go through the program as well, but it is a it is basically a ketogenic diet. We start off with a ketogenic diet, and then we start to cycle the keto where we have weeks where you're increasing your protein, weeks where you are increasing your carbohydrates and your protein, and it's all based on your menstrual cycle. And this is, I think, a, an important point to uh, to drop in right here with my conversation with Kate, because Kate and I were talking all about cyclical living, and I'm all about that for women. So if you want to check it out, you can go to estimadiet.com. That's E-S-T-I M as in Michael A Diet D-I-E-T dot com. And you'll see I have a little mini masterclass there. It's like 18 minutes, give you all the goods on how to do keto right for women, for our hormones, for our neurotransmitters, for our cycles. And if you feel like this is something that you would benefit from, then you can send an email to myself and my team and we will get you started. So I hope that you enjoyed this conversation and we will see you next week. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. For those of you who want to continue on this week's Geeky Magic Carpet Ride with me, visit bettershow.co forward slash show notes. You'll find research, links, summary notes, musings that I prepared in preparation for the podcast. And I often throw in some of my best practices, bonuses, and links. All the juicy bits are in there for you. And now for the obligatory legal and medical disclaimer. This podcast is for general information only, and the advice recommendations we discuss do not replace medicine, chiropractic, or any other primary healthcare provider's advice, treatment, or care. In the consumption of this podcast, there is no doctor-patient relationship form, and the use and implementation of the information discussed are at the sole discretion of the listener. The information and opinions shared on this podcast are not intended to be a substitute for primary care, diagnosis, or treatment. 
This episode is brought to you by yours truly, Dr. Stephanie Asima and Leverage. Leverage handles all production, creates the images that you see on my social media, and takes out all my awkward pauses. They are my secret magic bullet. You can visit them at getleverage.com forward slash better.